0: Well, again, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. As you're turning there, I will apologize on the onset. Uh, I've I've been hanging out with teenagers too long. And I've I've started to pick up their ways. Uh, Let me describe our weekend. We started off forgetting permission slips, having to go back to the high school to go get them. We forgot a bag here at the church. Yesterday morning, we forgot a wristband. Today, I forgot my power cord. So, we don't have, we've got a little bit of technology left. But unless the Holy Spirit powers laptops, we got 11 minutes. So, <laughs> either I preach fast or we don't use the computer too much. I'll use it as long as it lasts. Uh, as far as I know, nothing in Scripture allows or says that The Spirit does power laptops, so we'll go 11 minutes and then we'll go without it for the remaining portion of our message this morning entitled, Living in Joyful Christian Liberty. And it is common in our world today to see the modern church split over paint colors, pews versus chairs, this or that color of the carpet, or a million combinations of stuff that is really all moral, it doesn't have any moral value at all. Yet, it is dividing church congregations. Why? See, these uh, these have been used as uh, complaints to herald our opinions and voice our objections. Yet, where's the value? Because doing so puts us right in line with the secular world. Right in line with the secular world. After all, no one is going to look out for, number one, better than you, right? Right? And we bring that same mentality into the church. No one is going to look out for number one better than you, right? But that is a completely secular philosophy. And as Paul moves into this idea of Christian liberty, and as we move into the second part of this message series, we begin to recognize that as Christians, all is given into us in our liberty. But that doesn't mean that all is profitable. And when it is not profitable, it moves from being of no value to being sin really fast. And that is what Paul is going to move to us today. Within the body, we understand that we have tremendous liberty. And we choose to lay it aside for the sake of uh, other believers. That's difficult. Because that puts us in the line of where we have to rely upon somebody else. It puts us in the line of saying, you know what? I'm going to allow someone else to look after me. It puts us in a place that is uncomfortable in our sinful, natural self. But in Christ, it is where we need to be. Because when we have given it to someone else, it comes back in more abundance to us when we need it. The idea that I want us to focus on is this. Christian fellowship is for the express purpose of building each other up. Christian fellowship is for the express purpose of building each other up. And no truer is that then in this doctrine of Christian liberty, this truth of Christian liberty. And so this morning, that is where we are going to spend our time, and that is where we are going to start, and there goes the technology. Just like that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for uh, what you are doing, what you are accomplishing in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I praise you for Christian liberty. We uh, celebrate such a joyous opportunity as Christians. And yet, you have asked us to lay that aside in in and for the sake of our weaker brother or sister in Christ. Lord, this makes us vulnerable. It makes us recognize that not everyone is looking out for number one. And now we aren't either. Lord, I pray that our attitudes would change this morning. I pray that you would cause us to understand your word, cause us to understand Christian liberty, and that we would abide in it, through it, and by it that your name may be glorified among us, exalted in the streets of Goodland, because uh, we live what we preach, and we preach what we live. And may your name be glorified in all of this. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. In light of the heavy-hitting doctrine of the first 11 chapters of this letter, Paul has now brought us to a response. What are we going to do about it? How are you going to respond? The outflow of... The doctrine of the first 11 chapters has brought us to the point of liberty for Christians. Did you know, and I'm not going to speak any other part to it other than this, did you know that the non-Christian has no liberty? They have no freedom. The non-believer has no free will. You know why? Because they can sin and sin only. They have no ability to do anything else. Isaiah says everything that is done in that condition is done as filthy rags. And unless and until the Holy Spirit grabs them, they can do nothing. As believers, you have liberty. What you do, if you do in Christ, it is all good. It is all all acceptable. However, there is a phrase that we must understand. What you do, you must do in Christ. If you cannot do it in Christ, then it becomes sin. And so we have this uh, dichotomy that we need to work through in the life of the believer. We're not talking about the unbeliever. That was the doctrine of the first eleven chapters. Has built us from unbeliever to believer, from sinner to saint. Now, what do we do about it? Well, what do we do about it is we recognize our liberty. And while it is countercultural, We must consider other believers as more important than ourselves in the expression of our liberty. And so we are going to first look at our concern for the weaker believer. Our concern for the weaker believer. Then we will pursue the edification of others. Recognizing that it has nothing to do with you. And finally, we are going to avoid causing another to stumble. It all focuses on those who are sitting across the church from you, in front of you, or behind you, beside you. In the body of Christ, we work as one body, not as individuals. And so we begin to understand this as we look in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, and we recognize the concern for the weaker believer. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now we... Got into this a little bit last week, because this first phrase is misused, misquoted, misabused, or rather abused, not misabused. Two negatives don't make a positive. So, uh, But has been abused, and has been uh, caused considerable damage to this theology, to this doctrine that is found here. And so as we look at a believer's response, we must understand how to look at verse 13. And we dug into the first part of Paul's consideration of, Of Christian liberty last week. But then he says this. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore. And this is a phrase that we was very similar to what we saw on verse 10. Which says, but you, why do you judge your brother? And we recognize that this has often been thrown in the face of those who want to confront sin. Paul is not talking sin. He's going to talk sin by the end of this morning. But he's not talking sin. He's talking convictions. Why do you throw your convictions and use that as the judge against someone else's convictions? Paul is not talking moral issues. He's talking all moral issues. So it is not right for the Christian to say, well, I shouldn't judge. I know they're sinning, but sorry, I can't do anything about it. That's not Paul's response. That's not what Paul is calling us to. As Christians, we spur one another on towards godliness. We push each other on to godliness. And the only way that that is possible is if you judge sin and condemn it rightly. We should never be a body of believers that says, well, you know, it's okay. Go, go do what you're going to do. Live the way you want to live. And then come in and celebrate Jesus on Sunday. It's not about that. It has nothing to do with it. Paul says, why are you using your convictions to judge? Do not use your convictions as doctrine. Because your convictions are not doctrine. Remember, Eve did this in the garden. And I may have shared this with you last week. And I probably did in the garden. uh, God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve said uh, to the serpent that we should not eat it, nor should we touch it. That's a fine conviction to have. There's nothing wrong with the conviction of not touching it. She and Adam could have been playing football with that fruit. And it wouldn't have mattered. But the moment she took it and ate and handed it to Adam and without a word he ate became sin. But Satan had her when she moved her convictions to doctrine. When she said, God said don't touch it. She moved her conviction to doctrine. And Satan had her. Paul is saying don't move your convictions to doctrine and judge one another. Don't do that. If the issue is convictions, it is of an all-moral nature. And if the issue is such, it is not sin, but not, it is, therefore, could be enjoyed as Christian liberty, but not fully enjoyed as liberty, unless a fellow believer has no problem with it. We do not cast condemnation on each other. That is not how a body works. One part of the body doesn't say to the other, by the way, I don't like what you're doing. I've got a conviction you should change. This eye should be over here. doesn't work that way, does it? No, and it shouldn't work that way in the body of Christ. Rather, the question we must ask is, will this action, when we think of Christian liberty, the question we must ask is, will this action be cause for my brother to stumble and to receive temporary or even permanent handicap in their Christian walk? Notice what he says there in verse 13. After we get through the the judging part, but rather determine this: not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Paul is very clear. He's saying, "Pay attention. Do not do not elevate your convictions to theology, but at the same time, recognize, hold your convictions lightly, hold your hold your Christian liberty lightly." And Paul uses two words. The first is obstacle, and the word for obstacle is the same word uh, that you would encounter if you took a hike up a mountain trail. As you're walking up the trail, here's a rock jutting out. And here's a a tree root growing over. Those are obstacles according to what Paul's usage of the word is. So as you're walking up the trail, you're dodging these things. Paul says, don't put those in the path of a fellow believer. Don't make it harder than it already is for them to walk in a Christian manner. Don't be an obstacle. The second word is stumbling block. Now, this sounds kind of mundane. Okay, well, no obstacle or stumbling block. That's not what Paul is saying. I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to trap. My parents lived on a um, wash, and the water ran year-round, and we had raccoons and all kinds of critters down there, and I would trap them. You know what the point of trapping them is? Removing them. Taking them away. Taking their skins or whatever it happens to be. The word Paul uses for stumbling block is the snare of the trapper. The snare. So are you setting a snare on the path of that Christian believer? That, that fellow believer, rather. Are you setting a snare uh, by your actions? Let me put it this way. What if someone struggles with drinking? They're an alcoholic. They come to know Christ as Savior. And you invite them over to your house and say, Hey, you want to have a beer? It's Within your Christian liberty, right? I told you I was going to step on toes last week. I'm going to do it again this week. It's within your Christian liberty. As long as you are not getting drunk, Scripture says nothing of it. However, if you hand that to an alcoholic, you've just put a snare in his path. Paul says don't do it. Paul says it's within your Christian liberty, but come on. Come on, don't put a snare. Don't put a snare in the path of a fellow believer. You see, the word stumbling block sounds mundane, but it is anything but mundane. This is devastating to the life of the believer. This is what is used to capture victims as they pass by. We are being instructed to be countercultural Within the body of believers, our action, our practices are to be in line with our liberty as it pleases the Lord. Every time you establish a Christian liberty, you must ask yourself, is this pleasing to the Lord? In this situation, is it pleasing to the Lord? An aspect of this is those. Uh, an aspect of this is that faith by those that you influence. Who do you influence? Are you practicing Christian liberty in a manner in which they would celebrate with you rather than being snared by it, rather than being tripped up by it? You see, tripping causes some some temporary pain, a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of agony. Right? Walking up a mountain path, <laughs> yeah, that's a little embarrassing. I already got it, Lisa. It already died. Don't worry about it. She went home and everything. I praise the Lord for my beautiful wife. She went home, went down the stairs, got it, trying to make up for me, and it lied. It said eight minutes, and it died. So I'm just saying. it. I may have to switch to Mac or something. No, I'm not doing that. But anyway, (laughs) all the Mac people are like, ha, 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 see. (laughs) Uh, As as we move through this, an obstacle is something that, that trips you up. It is embarrassing. It's temporary painful, maybe. But the snare is not. The snare captures you, holds you, doesn't let you go. And as a believer, when you look around this room, you have no idea the sins, the backgrounds of everybody in this room. Exercise Christian liberty with caution. Exercise it. Praise the Lord for Christian liberty. You have something no one else does but exercise it in caution. Exercise it as is pleasing to the Lord. If another has has told you, hey, I'm struggling with with the way that you're exercising your liberty, then by all means, avoid doing so in their presence and don't make a deal out of it. Just stop. Just stop. And that leads Paul to this next statement. Verses 14 and 15. Walk in love. Walk in love. Verses 14 and 15. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him that thanks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Paul is establishing doctrine over convictions. He's saying... Pay attention, this is a major issue. Walk in love. It should be clear that food and special days are not the issues. Paul is using those, food and drink and special days, he's using those as illustrations. What he's talking about is liberty is present. And when liberty is present, we must use it in caution. And we are, we must willingly restrict that liberty for the sake of a fellow believer. Paul has directed us to respond to our convictions. If you are fully convinced that you ought not to practice a certain liberty, then by all means, hold to that conviction. Paul is very clear. Pay attention. Understand this. Recognize this. Understand that convictions must be held as to the Lord as much as liberty. If you are fully convinced that you ought never to take a drink, then never take a drink. Praise the Lord for that conviction. See within your liberty to do so. In the church I grew up in, after I would moved away, an issue came up concerning alcohol. The situation was the youth group would go over to a, a family's house for regular activities. So a family in the church was sponsoring them. They were coming over and, and fellowshipping at the house, playing games, movies, that kind of thing. This family uh, had, had, a, had a proud display of all their, their wine bottles out in the open for the youth group to see as they, as they came in. Nobody said anything for a long time. Yet, and, and Christian liberty allows for it, right? Yeah, Christian liberty allows for it. Nothing in Scripture condemns that. And uh, so they, they had it there. They were exercising their Christian liberty. Praise the Lord for that. Yet one of the teens uh, started coming to the youth group, started coming to this uh, activity over at their house. And he came from a family in which the father was an alcoholic and had severely beaten every member of his family. Having come to know Christ after his father was put in prison and in an attempt to start over in a new state and a new city, this young man joined this youth group. That display affected him almost to the point of rage. It bothered him so deeply. When the leadership of the church approached this family, said, "Look, there's a young man who is really struggling with this issue." You know what the family did? they added to their collection and refused to remove it. Within their Christian liberty, right? Uh Uh-uh. They've crossed the line. They've crossed the line. In the end, this young man parted ways with the church, and the issue festered to the point of becoming one of the key issues in which led to a church church. You know what the issue was in Church Split? Wine in their house. An all moral issue. An issue that had no bearing on Christian theology or doctrine until they crossed the line. Paul is clear this is not walking in Christian love. Your liberty is truly amazing in Christ. But do not hold liberty to the point of destroying your fellow believers in an attempt to make them grow up. You know what this family said? He should get over it. That's not your place. That's not your role. As a Christian, you are spurring each other on, not demanding each other on, not yanking each other by the throat. Come on, grow up, come on. That's not what we ought to be doing. Willingly give up your right. Christian liberty. You know what is an incredible aspect of Christian life? You have liberty, right? What an amazing thing from God. You know what's even more amazing? When you give it up. When you surrender it. When you give it up for the sake of another believer who is, is struggling and growing. And then you watch them grow to maturity. In fact, that is where Paul goes. Look at verses 16 and 17 as he says, Consider the outcome. Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let what is... For you, a good thing to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your liberty is truly amazing. But don't hold liberty to the point of destroying others. Paul says, look at the outcome. If you let liberty become a stumbling block, you will cause something that is Incredible for the believer. Something amazing, something that is good to be something spoken of as evil. Christian liberty in the church that I grew up in became something that went from good to evil overnight. Do not kid yourself concerning this. Not only is the Christian world watching, the secular world is watching. They may not like what goes on here. They may not participate in what goes on here, but you better believe they are watching what goes on here. They're watching you when you walk down the street, and they go, I know you attend church. I know you claim to be a believer. And I see your actions, and I see the way you treat each other. And you know what? You're all a bunch of hypocrites. You've ever heard that? They're right. We are. But that was a pretty hypocritical statement that they made. You see, we must recognize that as Christians, we must live within our liberty, we must understand these things. You see the world is, is wanting, they're waiting, they they desire to call you a hypocrite. And the fastest way to do so is the use of your or the misuse of your liberty. That way they can pick up on it immediately. You act that way, and I know very good and well that you shouldn't act that way. But it is such a benign issue. Look again at verse seventeen. Seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about food. It is not about drink. It is not about special days. It is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yet how many fellowships, how many local churches have been torn asunder, have been broken apart because Christian liberty was held above edification of the saints? Then that issue grew to the point of a festering splinter where anything but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit ruled. You see, when there's an absence of uh, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Spirit, guess what there is? Conflict. And do you know where conflict comes from? Usually, a misuse of convictions. How many churches do you know have split over doctrine? I know of one. One church that's split over doctrine. And I can... There's there's countless churches I know that have split. And I've studied church splits so that I understand what makes them up. And Paul is saying, look, look, here's the issue. You should be celebrating each other, willingly giving up your liberty and righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. Don't hold your convictions above edification. Second, pursue the edification of others. Pursue the edification of others. Look at verse 18. Scripture there says, says this, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. What an amazing statement. Christ is, in Christ you have tremendous liberty. But when you surrender that liberty, now you are acceptable to God. You have Christian liberty. When you surrender it for the sake of another, and that is completely right. Christian, there's nothing wrong with Christian liberty at all. And yet when you surrender it for the sake of a weaker brother, guess what? You've become acceptable to God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Paul considers the positive side. The one who practices their liberty in light of their concern for fellow believers is faithfully serving the Lord. Using every gift, every aspect, even liberty to serve the Lord. The word that Paul uses for serve is the word which means slave. <laughs> you catch what Paul just did? He said, you got tremendous Christian liberty. By the way, you're a slave. Liberty, slave. Liberty, slave. It works that way in the Christian walk. The secular world does not understand it. They, they can't begin to wrap their minds around it. But as Christians, we say, you know what? I have liberty, and I willingly surrender that so I can be a slave to my Savior God. I can still participate in Christian liberty. I can still participate in those things that are right. I'm just not going to wave them, flaunt them in front of my fellow believer who's struggling. Who's having a hard time. Who that's an issue for them. Paul uses the word which means slave. The one who practices their liberty for the sake of building each other up is a slave to Christ. And there is no greater place for the Christian to be. This one then is acceptable to God. And this word means pleasing, pleasing to God. You know what? One of my greatest prayer requests of all time for all of us, uh, and don't take this wrong, but especially for me and my family, is that when we get to heaven, we stand before our master God, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want my children to far exceed anything I can do. I want my wife to far exceed anything that I can do. I want you guys to far exceed anything that I can do. But I do all of that for this reason. I want my master to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul just gave you the way that that's going to happen. Christian liberty, surrender it for slavery. And in surrendering it for slavery, liberty beyond anything that you can express or imagine will be given to you. There's no greater reward imaginable than to be found as pleasing in the sight of our God. And Paul says, by the way, it doesn't matter very much, but he says not only are you acceptable to God, but you are approved by men. You are approved by men. And this refers to attesting and passing the test. He says these, there's men who are watching you, and they've got a grade card, and they're, they're making sure you're passing the test. And you better believe they're ready to mark a big red X next to that one. And that one. And that one. And Paul says the word, uh, the word for, for testing or for approved means they're testing and they're, they're making sure you're going to pass. The world wants to see if you are genuine, the world wants to see if you are real. Nothing in this world around, despite throwing around the term reality, is real. You turn on TV, I'm going to watch some reality TV. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. You You watch all this reality TV and then you go, wait a minute, there's all these cameras and all this money being thrown around. That's hardly reality TV, right? That doesn't make reality TV. That makes a bunch of thugs out of people who would normally be lesser thugs. And yet here they are beating each other up, trying to pass each other over, trying to swindle each other out of this money. You will pass this test. They want to see if you're genuine. You will pass this test if you walk in love in regards to your Christian liberty. You have a genuine walk, they're going to see it. And you know what? It's going to take that long for them to notice. You walk into a store, they know immediately something's different with you. When you tell them something, they know immediately they can trust you. When you give up your liberty for another and they observe it, they will trust you. And guess what? Greatest gift you can ever give to them has now been opened. And you can share the gospel with them in genuine Christian love. Paul then moves on to verse 19. He says, what is the purpose of all? Let's get down to the, to the brass tax. What is it? 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Paul says it all boils down to building each other up. Build up others. In light of being a slave to Christ, we are seeking to build up uh, the faith of those who sit in this room with us. We spur them on to godliness. We spur them on to Christian living. We spur them on to enjoying their Christian liberty. The way you use your liberty will determine your usefulness in the body of Christ. Say, you know what, I'm going to use my liberty, and I'm going to live in my liberty. Well, guess what? You just severely cut short your Christian growth, if that's where you stay. If you say, I'm going to turn my liberty into slavery, you will grow to maturity. You will become a mature believer. The word for building up means that we are used to increase the potential of another. That is so countercultural, it's ridiculous. I'm going to use my gifts to build you up. To make you having, to to have the ability to have more potential than you did when you walked in here this morning. Consider with me for a moment the way you practice your liberty. It can cause severe harm. But by considering our liberty in use to the Master, not only are we the recipients of the acceptability of God, not only are we recipients to being. Uh, those who hear well done good and faithful servant but now you can increase the ability of another person sitting in this room to hear the same thing to grow in godliness to grow in maturity to be built up to increase their potential in christ paul says let's keep our perspective verse 20 do not tear down the work of god for the sake of food All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who who eats and gives offense. offense. Keep perspective. There is no doubt that you love and care for the believers in this room. And that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what I'm saying. And you look across the pew, there is no doubt that you love and care for those in this room. But the question is, do you love your exercise of liberty more than your brothers or sisters in Christ? If you love liberty more than your brothers or sisters, you've got to reverse them. Switch them around. All things can be used to the edification of another. I have known many a prideful Christian who say, It is within my right as a Christian, and you are correct. It is. If you have to defend your right, it's not. That simple. If you have to tell your pastor, it's within my right to do this, (laughs) Um, I just want you to know that I'm already praying for you. Because you're having to defend your right. If you feel convicted that you have to tell me that it's your right, I know your Christian liberty rights as well as you know your Christian liberty rights. And so we must not have to defend our rights. If you are defending your rights, that is a warning sign that you are misusing it. So be careful. Now I'm not talking about some of those situations. I'm just saying if you are having to defend your rights, my right to live this way, it may be, but the mere fact you had to defend it tells me that it's a warning sign. Something's not right in the way you're exercising it. Paul focuses our attention... A little bit here in verse 20. And he asks the question, Are you willing to tear down the work that God is doing for the sake of temporary satisfaction of your use of your liberty? That may be food, drink, special days, or a whole host of other things that are Christian liberty. All things are permissible. But if they cause offense, you have crossed from permissible to sin. Not the one with convictions that might take offense. You have sinned. In exercising your liberty, you have sinned. All things are permissible. But if they cause offense, you have sinned. Not all things are profitable. And that's where Paul goes next. Look at verses 21 through 23, starting in verse 21. Avoid causing another to stumble. Verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Remember, Paul is working against those that have been influenced by the Judaizers. And they are holding to the Mosaic Covenant. And Paul says in your Christian liberty, it's okay to have a pork roast. But if your uh, Jewish friend, your Jewish believer, sees that as a major offense against God, uh, go ahead and have your pork roast, but don't do it when, they're, when you invite them over. Come on over after Sunday, I got a great pork roast going on in my oven right now. (laughs) Now That's going to cause serious offense, isn't it not? And and they're going to struggle. And they're going to have a hard time. It's going to be a festering wound. Even if even if they don't even come, it's going to be a festering wound. If the thing you are doing, while it is in your Christian liberty, is causing another to stumble, just stop doing it in their presence. Just stop doing it in their presence. For them. For their sake. If in humble subjection to Christ you lay aside that liberty for a time you are to be commended now your liberty in slavery to Christ has caused even greater rewards sin has tainted the world we live in and you and I have no idea the circumstances that has led another believers led to another believers convictions if your actions tempt them to sin and cause them to struggle in their faith lay it aside Lay it aside for a time. And Paul boils all this down to the key. The key, verse 22 and 23. The key to liberty is this. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he's he is eating his eating is not from faith, but whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul now turns to the other side as he looks at the key to liberty. See, Paul's been dealing on the stronger believer side, and now he turns it to the weaker believer. By the way, we all fit in both categories. Some issues you're stronger in, some issues you're, you're weaker in, you hold convictions in. If you hold convictions, that's weaker. Not in, not in value, but in description. So Paul is saying, look, you can exercise this, but I understand why you're not exercising it. But by not exercising it, I have to defend that somehow, and so, or, or define that, so that's going to be weaker. So those are weaker, those who are living their Christian liberty is stronger. But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, it is usually the one who is not holding convictions that is the one sinning. And so we have to understand, this is just descriptive. But when he gets to this, he says the key to liberty is the surrender of it. The convictions you have established, establish them in prayer and petition before the Lord. When you have a conviction, praise God for the conviction. Praise God, but make sure you bathe that in prayer. Make sure you are positive that your conviction holds. Align your convictions to the Lord. Make sure that you're not crossing the line, but can live in those convictions. And joy is yours when you have done so. And if you practice things which violate your convictions that have been established by faith, then you've got a problem. So what is what does Paul mean by faith? What is this saving faith? Is this salvation? No. Faith that Paul is speaking about is not the saving faith, but rather it is what you understand to be the will of the Lord. So you've come before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm laying all of this out. I'm pouring all of this out. I know that, I know in my Christian liberty I'm allowed to do this, but this is something that I I feel uh, I'm convicted by. I'm laying it out before you. And the Lord affirms that conviction in your heart. And then you go right out. And you violate that conviction. You know you violated the will of the Lord. That's sin. Understanding what the will of the Lord is, that's faith. The faith Paul is talking about here. Not saving faith, it's it's practice, it's practical faith within the life of the believer. The weak brother who eats something that he believes he should not eat stands condemned by his own conscience and by God. His action is contrary to what he believes is right. If you are acting in a way that you believe is wrong and it's not an issue of theology because there is a definite, clear picture of theology, a lot of people operate in wrong theology and never test it against Scripture. That's bad. Test all your theology in the way to Scripture. But when it comes to convictions, test it in the way to Scripture. Make sure it's just a conviction. And when you understand it's a conviction, then you recognize that If you violate your own conviction, you are standing guilty before God. This action is contrary. If you're violating it, it is contrary to what you believe is right, and therefore it is sin. One commentator says, For a Christian, not a single decision and action can be good, which he does not think he can justify on the grounds of his Christian convictions and his liberty before God in Christ Jesus. So it can be a Christian liberty thing, but you say, you know what? I was raised that this was wrong. I was taught this is wrong. I had the conviction myself in my study of God's word that this is wrong. And praise God. And if to violate that conviction means you feel guilty about it, don't violate the conviction. Christian freedom. but don't violate the conviction. As Christians. We have the joy of Christian liberty. But no greater joy is found in the, the willful laying aside of those aspects of liberty and participating in the growth of another Christian. There is no greater joy on this earth than to watch another Christian grow because you temporarily laid aside your Christian liberty. There is no greater joy in being found pleasing in eternity to your great God. When you use liberty, hold it lightly. Recognize that that liberty is an opportunity for you to be enslaved to Christ. And the willing servant, the willing slave, will willingly give up his liberty for a moment. For a week two weeks, three weeks, whatever it takes, years for the sake of the fellow believer. I can only imagine what would have happened to that church, church I grew up in, if that family had said, you know what, while they're here, we'll just box it up and take it downstairs, and we just won't let them go there. We'll we'll put it in our pantry so that they don't see it. We just don't want to be offensive. Can you imagine the growth of that youth group Can you imagine the growth of that young man? There may be a day where he was able to handle it as he grew up in maturity. Instead, they will never know the potential because one family chose not to exercise slavery to Christ and instead lorded their liberty over everyone else. The question before you today is, are you lording your liberty or are you willingly submitting to slavery? I hope that you choose to willingly submit to slavery, to Christ. Not to sin, to Christ. Willingly be a servant of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we bow our heads today, we are challenged to exercise our Christian liberty in a way that is pleasing to you. Lord, my greatest desire, my deepest desire, is that I be found uh, obedient to that I be found as one who hears the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, make us slaves. Make us slaves of yours, willingly and completely, laying upon your mercy and grace. We recognize there is no safer place to be, but we recognize that it is countercultural, it is it is counterintuitive to our fleshly bodies, to give something away, to get something better. Because we, so, we hold ourselves in such high value, we don't think there is something better. Lord, challenge our faith. Challenge our understanding of who you are, what you have done for us, that we may love you, serve you, and obey you in all ways. Lord, we do love you. And I do thank you for uh, Paul's explanation of liberty. And as we continue in it again next week, cause us to be faithful in exercising it practicing it this week. In your son's name we pray. Amen.